welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast, where we feature women who are nailing it in life. Welcome to the Legit Lady Podcast. This is your host, Julie Fetterman. Thanks so much for tuning in to where we are creating a platform for impressive women to inspire the world. We're going to start off today's episode much like our other episodes and taking a peek at some of the amazing reviews that you've been so kind to leave. And if you haven't already done so, please spend a couple seconds, write a quick review for us on iTunes, on Stitcher, Facebook, anywhere where you can review and feel free to send us a quick note and we will do our best to read it on air. So looking at Stitcher today, we're going to take a look at some of these great reviews Fun and inspiring. I love the diversity of women featured on Legit Lady. Very inspiring. Looking forward to more episodes. We've got Moosey Moose saying, I cannot stop listening. This podcast is so inspirational and features such amazing boss ladies. Keep up the great work. Yeah, we are boss ladies, definitely. And Deb says, definitely worth listening to great content and definitely worth listening. Way to go, Julie. Can't wait for more. And we're going to wrap things up with Stanley, who says, too legit to quit. I'm sorry, but I love seeing strong women highlight, compliment, push, and drive other strong women. Julie is a catalyst to amazing movement and change, and I love the fact that she is leading the way. When we talk about be the change you want to see, Julie is a prime example of that. Oh, she has a great career, rock steady relationships, lots of great friends and a refreshing perspective of the world around her. Add that with her intellect, hustle, determination, risk-taking, internal motivation, and you have an impressive person. Oh my God, this is in all caps. Impressive person. And I love that she has the platform to share with the world. Oh man. Feels like I have a whole fan club here. This is the best. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for that. And everyone, please keep them coming. Uh, I, I certainly get a huge, huge, huge kick out of reading these. And it definitely makes my day. And this week's article that caught my eye, the headline is Women Get Worse Paramedic Care in a Heart Attack. Now, it's a WebMD article. Although it is based on a study, it's not just for uh, searching for your symptoms and obviously everything typically comes up like you're dying, right? But anywho, uh, so women get worse paramedic care in a heart attack. Uh, women who call 911 for a possible heart attack may get different treatment from paramedics than men do, a new U.S. study suggests. Researchers found that ambulance crews were less likely to give recommended treatments such as aspirin to women with chest pain. Paramedics were also less likely to turn on their sirens while transporting female patients to the hospital. The reason for the disparities aren't clear, the study authors said, but one possibility is that paramedics are less likely to attribute women's chest pain to a heart attack, said senior researcher Melissa McCarthy. Uh, that could definitely be a factor, said McCarthy, a professor of health policy and emergency medicine at George Washington University in Washington. Uh, the findings align with what past studies have shown about heart attack care. Women are less likely than men to get certain recommended treatments in a hospital after they're discharged. 
In fact, differences emerge even before medical professionals are involved. A study published this week found that women in, with heart attack symptoms often delay calling for help, waiting more than a half hour longer than men on average. Um, so <laughs> like, this whole thing is, is, I don't know if this is shocking. Um, the article continues on and, and goes into more detail with more statistics about um, you know, how recommended therapies and procedures are given and administrated way less often to women than men. And it's very interesting to think about why this is. I think many of us have thought of heart attacks to be more prevalent in men, but women do have them too. And especially saying that women wait even longer to call for an ambulance in the first place. I don't know about you, but to me, this sounds a lot like us just being really good at gritting through the pain and telling ourselves that everything is okay. Uh, perhaps it's just bias in medicine. So women historically have been treated differently than men, even with the same sickness, the same illness, or very often taken less seriously. And maybe it actually goes down to how we articulate and speak about what we're feeling. So perhaps because of all of those years and decades of us just being so passive and socialized to be passive and play through the pain and grit our teeth and hope for the best, maybe we're not actually speaking up and actually saying the right kinds of symptoms in the right kind of way and demanding that we have the time and have the treatment that we deserve. So for me, this article was a great reminder that we need to be very vocal, very clear, very direct to demand the type of treatment that we need for the sake of our health. Health is so important. It can go in an instant and we need to be better advocates, not only for those around us, but most importantly, ourselves. With that, this week's guest talking about a strong, powerful woman this lady, I met her back in university and I knew that she was just so cool. I really loved her energy. We instantly clicked, but I've been admiring her for years on social media because she doesn't live uh, in the same city anymore. But this girl, not only doesn't she live in the same city as me, she's all over the world. She's the definition of a badass in my book. In fact, this lady flies planes for a living. And you'll hear from her interview with me. She just loves anything that I would probably be totally freaked out to do. She's an adrenaline junkie. She's adventurous. She's so outspoken and amazing. And I had a blast interviewing her. Please give it up for Emily Daniel. Emily, we are so happy to have you here today on the podcast Thank before you. you jet out to fly around the world, I'm sure. Um, but just to go over how things go here on the Legit Lady podcast, we're going to get to know you through 10 main questions. Plenty of questions throughout, and I've jotted down like 20 extra questions <laughs> because... I love to travel. I don't know any pilots except you. So I'm like, this is my time to ask all yeah, my weird, random, dorky away. questions. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, every once in a while, even though I'm a huge, huge travel fan, every once in a while, I'm a bit of a white knuckle flyer and I'm like, oh no, what's happening? 
<laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm going to nerd out on this one. Um, so with that, let's dive in with question one, which sure. is what advice would you give to your teenage self? I saw that question at the beginning and I was like, you know, it's always hard to kind of go back in time to give yourself advice. Cause I feel like everything you work towards is always like, you never know what you're expecting. So what kind of advice would have been helpful at the time? It's hard to say, but I think the biggest thing that I would have liked to tell myself is just to not give up, not that I gave up, but just to know that, you know, everything's going to start to feel better and better as you keep progressing through the steps. I think the most stressful thing that I was going through was obviously flight training and you never feel like you see the finish line. Like you never feel like you see the end. And sometimes it can be so demoralizing when you're like, you see everybody else, they're getting their careers set up and you're still doing your flight training and you're still accumulating debt. And you're like, when is this going to end? Right. So I think just not giving up and continuing to think, you know what, it's going to feel better soon. It's going to feel better soon. And just kind of motoring on. Um, Cause I didn't really have that support system. There was no one in my family that was a pilot. I hadn't gone through that experience before. Um, so just being able to have someone on my shoulder be like, don't worry, it's going to get better. Yeah. I think would have been really kind of motivating and helpful. And at what age did you start that process of flight training? I, it was my second career. Um, Cause I think you and I would have been, I think we would have met back when I was like massage therapy, I think. Probably. Yeah. It was like probably what, 10 years ago? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Time ago. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so I think I started my flight training. I was 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a little bit older than my mm-hmm. peers. And, but it took me three years or so. And then I was finished everything. Wow. Yeah. Three years. Yeah. Like that is, that is a process. Yeah. Oh yeah. And can you tell us a little bit of what's involved with that uh, training process of how you become a pilot in yeah. the first place? Yeah. So a uh, most, most people, there's sort of two options. If someone is kind of looking to start right after high school, they'll go, they can typically go into a full-time program. So say like a four-year program, like a degree like Seneca, or there's one out West where I am. I think I forget what it's called now, but there's another four-year program that's out there um, where you'll do, you know, you'll finish up with a combination of a degree and your, all your hours to get your basic private license and commercial license as an, as a pilot or the other route, which was the one I did was just essentially pay for your own lessons, kind of like pay as you go, cater your schedule based on like how busy you were with your other jobs. So once you're working towards all your hours, it's essentially a combination of ground school stuff. So sitting down with your instructor, learning, you know, the basics the fundamentals of flying and then adding your exams that are throughout there and then doing all your flying lessons. So you'll build up to your first, you know, you'll go solo, you'll get your private license, um, you'll get your night rating, moving on to your commercial license then you'll get your instrument rating which is just to essentially be able to fly based on only your instruments like no longer looking outside for reference oh wow yeah yeah so and then you move on to like your multi-engine rating so being able to fly aircraft that have more than one engine and by rating it's like is that like like a the test? endorsement oh, okay yeah like the endorsement to say yes you're allowed to now great fly with those new rules let's just call them that cool. um yeah so you kind of make your way towards the like your commercial license your multi and instrument license um and then lastly some people move on to become instructors which is the route that i went 
or other people people might go up to like northern operators like doing um like medevac like evacuations in like the northern ontario or northern quebec operations or you know depending on what's kind of available at the time i just decided to instruct because when i started about um when i got my license and everything it was 2013 2014 the industry wasn't what it was at the time so instructing was like the best route to gain more hours and kind of get paid <laughs> at Got the time it. too yeah and then you transitioned into being just a commercial pilot yeah right? so that term is kind of misleading like commercial pilot Quote essentially unquote. yeah exactly <laughs> so like when you're an instructor you're still uh, like a commercial pilot but essentially moving on to um like bigger operations i guess we can call it where i went to like africa and i flew down there for a little bit wow yeah. oh my gosh <laughs> there's some yeah i i, I want to get more into all of these <laughs> absolutely. things and, and that's absolutely incredible so you used to be a massage therapist before yes and then you suddenly transitioned into becoming a pilot yes what inspired that transition Really good question. P.S. You're also like a, a like dream girlfriend or like, <laughs> I, like, oh my gosh, she can fly around the world and also give bomb ass massages. Amazing. Keep going. Sorry. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's funny. I get asked that all the time. Like, you know, how, what made the switch? Because it's such a 180 like flip from from interest. Right. And a lot of people like they wanted to be pilots since they were kids. I was not the case. I was more like you. I was more in the mindset of like, I just love traveling. Like I, when, whenever we would go traveling with my family, I'd be stoked to just go to the airport. Like that was my favorite part at the beginning. I was like, Oh, this is cool. Right. And my mom would be super nervous and I'd be like, no, this is my jam. Like I'm, I'm excited for this. But really what was happening is I had worked for two years as an RMT, just full time. Um, and I really enjoyed the work. I still kept being a massage therapist. Um, but I just knew that I just wanted something more. Like I wanted to kind of do something more badass. I kind of wanted to do something that was kind of like adrenaline, you know, filled in some way. And I love to travel. So I think it was my dad who randomly was like, Oh, I met my client's daughter at a dinner. And he, and she happened to be a pilot. Like he just randomly said that to me. He's like, have you ever thought about that? And I was like, no, but I am now, right? Like it was just like inception in my mind. And um, yeah, I just kind of went with it. That was like wow. in 2010, I think. And I just went for my intro flight. I did a bunch of research, went for my introductory like sightseeing flight because I'd never been in a small aircraft before. Right. I'd been in bigger ones, but you don't really get a chance to understand or experience what it would be like to man it like yourself. Mm-hmm. So I did my intro flight. And after that, I was like, yeah. Okay. I'm sold. Yeah. I could do this. <laughs> like down. Just checks all the boxes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, wow. That is so cool. And like, I can only imagine that's amazing being able to have that power of, Hey, I'm going to fly myself wherever I want to go. Um, is I want to go back to when you were answering the advice to teenage self mm-hmm. question. Um, I'm curious, uh, what kept you going through Mm. that big long process of three years because you mentioned that you didn't have a conventional support system so what encouraged you to keep going yeah yeah i had my ups and downs obviously (laughs) just like everybody else um i had a really good like my parents were really good at you know continuously kind of keeping me grounded with you know what everything that's going to be rewarding is going to take some hard work, like no matter what you end up doing and you're going to have your ups and downs, like I said. But I think the biggest thing was just understanding that, you know, you've heard the quote of like the journey of a thousand steps starts with like just one, right? Essentially Mm -hmm. just kind of knowing that 
you know, even though this seems like this huge daunting task, as long as I did one thing every day that kind of kept me going towards that goal, it could be the smallest thing. It could be like, you know, studying for 10 minutes, doesn't matter. But every day, as long as I kind of made my way towards that goal, I knew that looking back, I'd be able to recognize like how far I had traveled. I think it's the same analogy with like hiking or going on really long road trips. It's like, you never really see the end, right? Like, you know, say sometimes it takes you five hours to get somewhere. You're thinking, holy crap, it's going to take me forever. But you know, as you're driving, every hour that you're driving, you're slowly getting closer and closer to your goal. And I think that's, it's that mindset that kind of kept me going with that. That's a great piece of advice for life. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, being able to live and enjoy the journey and the process totally. as opposed to purely being fixated on the outcome. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I had a lot of instructors who were helping me with that at the time. Like I, by that point, I was surrounded more um, with other, I guess we'll call mentors in the industry. Mm-hmm. And they had all kind of gone through those steps. So when they were kind of reminding me to, again, exactly what you just said, to focus on the journey, not the end result, it was like, okay, how can I make this the most enjoyable you know, mm-hmm. process, you know, the entire way through. And I think that's what reminded me like, okay, let's not rush. Right. Like I'm not, you know, it's going to be fun regardless of what ends up happening. And you mentioned having mentors and that's incredible. And I think mentorship is a, a very important thing in every yes. career and in every industry. Uh, can you tell us about how those mentorships came about and if there's any in particular that were really meaningful? Um, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think mentorship is super necessary. I think it's underrated actually as, as a a tool that people can use. Um, mine just sort of came about naturally just with my coworkers at the time. So when I was working, I was working, um, at the airport, uh, part-time because one of my instructors had mentioned to me, you know what, no matter what happens while you're going through this process, try to stay in the industry. So what he meant by that is just pick up a small part-time job so that you would still go to the airport. You'd still be surrounded by pilots. You'd be still be surrounded in that mentality so that if say you had to take a six month break for financial reasons or injuries, um, they would at least stay in that environment. So all those other pilots who were still working towards their goals, they sort of kept encouraging one another and kept encouraging me to kind of keep up with the pace because you kind of compare yourself and you're seeing like, oh shit, like, you know, they're getting their hours. They're still, you know, continuing on with their path. So I may as well just keep up with them. Right. So the, it was kind of a natural progression for certain mentors, um, or certain instructors, I should say, but one in particular, um, was my first instructor who did my private license. Uh, his name was Lou and he was just fantastic for, I like, he just has a, just a first name. Yeah, Lou. Just, his, his, like, his name share. is Lou. <laughs> <laughs> I can just close my eyes and picture that. <laughs> He's like, so not a social media fan. I actually had um, tagged him in a picture because turns out we actually ended up flying together at WestJet, oh. like down the line, like years later, it was kind of cool that the industry kind of brings you back with those people that you connect right. with. Um, so so I won't mention his full name just for sure, that, sure. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, he, yeah. Is, he is Cher, really. Yeah. <laughs> so um, he was fantastic from the get-go. He really gave me structure. He really, you know, made me focus on the important things. Again, one of the things that he had mentioned was focusing on the journey, not the end result, um, you know, making sure that my foundations were really, really strong from the get-go and just, you know, explaining the importance of seeking out help. So it being a pilot is not about knowing everything. It's about knowing where to find information. That's, mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing, a biggest mis- misconception that a lot of students kind of go to, they think, Oh, I have to know all these buttons and I have to know every single system. And I have to know how all this works and operates. But really it's 
a matter of re- being resourceful. So he really instilled all these fantastic mindsets, I think, from the get-go. And it was amazing to be able to fly with him again, like years later and be like, holy crap, like you, it's the same scenario of him being the captain and me being like the student or the first mm-hmm. officer, but now we're in you know a commercial aircraft. Right. <laughs> so it was really cool. Full circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I can only imagine. I mean, especially being a pilot, you don't know what's going to happen at no. times in the air. So that mentality shift of knowing what to do in a potential emergency or in a specific situation is likely the best thing you could possibly educate yourself on. Exactly. So with that being said, have you ever been in a situation where you were really nervous and or worried? (laughs) Can you talk about it? (laughs) Um, We're talking about aviation, right? Yeah, aviation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got got other questions for other things, but yeah, specifically in the air. Um, I think... I've, I've thankfully I haven't experienced any major malfunctions or major emergencies or anything. I think the touch wood. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, I think the most stressful thing actually was probably when I was an instructor and I was dealing with students because I think those are the ones that have potentially the most inconsistencies mm-hmm. <laughs> or the most, not the most risk, but you know, you are putting yourself out there with brand new students who don't have much experience. You yourself as an instructor, you don't have much experience. Um, so I did have a, a situation once where there was just a misunderstanding. And I think, you know, it, the student was thinking we were, we were simulating something, but when we were practicing simulations, we kind of like verbalize the different motions that we're doing. The student didn't understand that and went to kind of pull the power essentially and we were just like 400 feet off the ground so I had to react really quickly yeah but again when (laughs) (laughs) please don't turn off the power while we're in the air ideally don't do that when we're you know 500 feet above the ground but um (laughs) you prep yourself for that and it was fine like nothing nothing happened but I think that was like the most nerve-wracking thing I may have experienced flying wise but yeah, I've been really lucky. I've been really, really lucky. We train really intensely for those kind of things. So I think right. the day-to-day stuff just becomes like, okay, this feels good. This is my normal. You know what I mean? Because you're just like, okay, you're like ready to expect anything out of the ordinary. Right. And so what would you share to flyers who get nervous mm. during, say, extreme turbulence yeah. or, or sketchy conditions and things? Because that's me, yeah. right? You know, I, I travel all the time. I just tell myself, I'm like, nope, nope. They know what they're doing. Everything's fine. Everything yeah. will work out. It always does. But I'm just like gripping my seat, even though I travel all the time. Is right? it the turbulence that bothers you the most? Uh, for me, yes. Yeah. It's just that big decrease in, in height. Yeah. I just feel it in my gut. Yes. And I'm sure other people empathize who are listening absolutely. to this. <laughs> oh, absolutely. There's tons, there's tons of people who are nervous flyers. It yeah. happens really, really frequently. I think, um, I mean, one of the biggest like comparisons I can kind of like bring it back to would just be like, just try to visualize like you're kind of driving down a really bumpy road. Like the turbulence is just really, you know, it's, it's kind of hard because we can't visualize air, right? That's, that's the, the issue. We can't see what's kind of happening around us, but really all it is that the fl- the plane is just flying through a mass of really turbulent mixing air. So instead of just having really smooth airflow over the wings, it's really bumpy, right? Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't create a kind of smooth, even lift. So you're getting those ups and downs that are kind of happening. Um, so yeah, the autopilot's doing kind of all the work and it's just kind of cruising along. So the turbulence is not, is not a big concern, but it's hard to say that to someone who's in the back because 
you don't have the control. Then I think that's yeah. the issue is that like you don't know what's happening. Right. And so it's kind of scary. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I compare it to just, just think of it as like you're driving down a really bumpy road and you wouldn't even think twice about it. You just be like, Oh, this is kind of a bumpy road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of what it is really. So as far as advice, I would just say, you know, try to just kind of roll with those, those bumpy, <laughs> those bumpy <laughs> waves. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't really do the turbulence itself is not something to be concerned about. I know it's hard to say. <laughs> no, it actually already made me feel so much better. I think it's that, uh, that fact of not knowing. Yes. Yeah. That ambiguity. You're like, I, I don't know what's happening. And yeah. you see the, the, just the wings of the plane just going up going and down. Up and down and you're yeah. like, I really hope this doesn't snap. <laughs> anyway. You know what else too? You could, yeah. you can kind of see it as, um, you know, when you're swimming through water mm-hmm. and have you ever been like, you've been in the ocean. Yeah. You've, yeah. you've, you've seen like water, like salty water mixed with like less salty water. Right. You've seen how it's like a little turb, like little mixing eddies we call them I guess uh-huh. it's the same thing with air mass air mass is always mixing and like blending with other masses of air so that's just what we're flying through perfect yeah okay <laughs> so Great. we can try to think about that when you're flying again that's good maybe I'll be drinking less on yeah. the next flight uh, <laughs> uh fantastic so I have a lot of questions yes but let's move on to question two for now sure which is what's your proudest accomplishment Ooh, flying wise, right? No, <laughs> anything. No, no, anything Ooh. in life. My proudest accomplishment. Um, I think just how many countries I've traveled to so far. I was kind of looking at your map though. You've got a bunch <laughs> of them. That's awesome. I know, but how way many more do you to have? come. I, I have not counted. Have you counted? No, I have not counted. Oh, you, you probably I, have a rundown. <laughs> I know, I know. For right now, it's it's not enough. That's what I yes, say. Yes. I, I've been to a lot of like cities even, but right. as far as countries, it's nowhere near enough. What you want to do, yeah. Yeah, because I work corporate, so yeah, I have to go somewhere like two weeks at a time. Yeah. And you can't hit that many countries if you want to get a real feel for it. Yes, for the culture too. Yeah, yeah. Know, maybe I'll give a I'll give a, rest, a rough estimate. But how many places have you been to? I, I counted. I think I'm at 35 now. Wow. Yeah. So I think that I think that might be my proudest accomplishment because I'm really I just that's my true biggest passion is flying, like flying, but like getting to travel and experience different countries. You got you got to be in your twenties at least there. I don't know. I feel like I'm around half half of where you're at. Maybe. <laughs> but, but I like it's it's kind of I'm kind of cheating though because like I've done like every single Caribbean country, so <laughs> I feel like that's like a lot of them that are like all located there. But still, yeah, yeah. I think that's my proudest accomplishment is like how um, many places I've been to that's so far. Awesome. Yeah, and I love it. Are there any in particular that have been? more memorable for Absolutely. you? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Like I think my latest trip to Croatia was incredible. Like oh. absolutely incredible. I, I went, um, I went down for seven days and it wasn't even during a vacation. It was just like, I had eight days off in a row and I was like, okay, doing this, going to Croatia. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And I went with my boyfriend and just the amount of like hiking and like outdoorsy adventures that we did was just incredible. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I highly recommend it. Have you been? No, not okay. yet. It's on my hit list. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. And where are you going next? Ooh. <laughs> I know. I feel like you and I could just get lost in these yes, kind of yes, questions, yes. right? Um, <laughs> I'm thinking, I've got my scuba diving license. Um, of course th- you do. <laughs> I'm like, what's what's next? Did you like skydive on your way here today? I did skydive in Australia. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> Um, I'm thinking, actually, we're thinking, um, going to Belize for some scuba diving. Yeah. Going down there. Um, cause WestJet does fly there. So it'd be kind of easy to get there. I'm thinking maybe March, April. 
Ooh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. And do you get free flights? No, or is it discounted? Yeah, it's very discounted. <laughs> misleading info. Some some can be free depending on the the company. Um, so we have agreements with different airlines. Obviously, it's not so. I don't just get to fly with WestJet. I get to fly with almost every airline. There's not very many that we don't get to fly with, but um, definitely get some some good hookups with other other uh, operators. Wow, that's so neat. And as far as what you've flown what is the longest flight time that you've ever flown um i think with the so i fly the q400 right now um i'm pretty sure it would have been just like close to a three-hour flight they're not we because we do mostly regional routes Mm -hmm. they're not the longest um so i would have been maybe i think if i remember correctly it might have been like uh st john's or like moncton to I think one of the East Coast um, regional cities, I forget which one it would have been, but maybe like Newfoundland to Moncton or Halifax, one of those two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just with really intense winds. Right. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. And do you have a desire to eventually move towards transatlantic? Um, or not really? It's a good question. <laughs> I kind of brainstorm about it. You know what's funny is I just rediscovered a passion because I started teaching um, with WestJet. So I'm teaching... Um, new hires Mm. to get into the aircraft. And I think I really enjoy doing the teaching side of things. So although I may give it a shot, I may try to do transatlantic with the, with the jets. I may just try it just to say I've tried it Mm -hmm. just to see if I like it. But I think a part of me truly enjoys kind of giving back. I think I really enjoy being involved in the learning environment. It kind of keeps me sharp as well. Really forces Mm -hmm. me to know my shit because half the time they're asking me stuff and I'm like, you know what? I've got no idea. I will yeah. get back to you. Um, and it's just a, it's a motivating environment. So I think I would potentially kind of stay more towards the, the training environment. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously speaks to your core motivation for what you do. And it seems like you have such a drive to help others and empower others that are going through that process, especially given your own journey, getting into this fairly quote unquote late in life in yes. comparison to yeah. others. So I think that's really beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Okay, so question three is, how do you balance work and life? Probably pretty challenging. It can't, yeah, <laughs> it was. It definitely was at the beginning mm-hmm. um, that I was working with WestJet. Um, just the type of work that we're doing, it's it's regional flying. So we're booked quite a lot. <laughs> I, I think there's a couple months there because I started back with WestJet in February mm. of this year. I think there was a couple months where I may have been home maybe 10 nights a month sort of thing because you're in hotels, you know, depending on where you're doing your layover. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing that I've taken away in the last couple months has truly been to prioritize my hobbies. So I really made an effort to go do more like outdoor activities. So like hiking, I made an effort to like see my my girlfriends more often and see my family. I think it was just making those, once I know my schedule for the month, it was like looking at, you know, how could I make sure that... I see a certain amount of, you know, time away from that work as like, cause I have a, I use a calendar. I use Google calendar to like plan out my week. And I like any time that it's like not work related, it's a different color. Mm-hmm. So I can like look at it in colors. I just like colors. I love <laughs> right? color coding calendars. Right? It's, it's so, so helpful good. because then I can see, okay, well, how does most of my week sort of look like, is it all work 
colors mm-hmm. or is it more you know hobbies related or like mm-hmm. family related type stuff so yeah. find I color think, or work color <laughs> right exactly so and don't get me wrong like i obviously enjoy my work yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. being yeah. able to balance it i think like when you visually see like oh crap you know what i did not spend enough time with my hobbies this week gonna try to do it a bit of more of an effort for next week i think that's visually has helped me a lot using <laughs> using my calendar wow yeah that's great um, has it ever been challenging to, cause I know you're, you're really interested in going to the gym and staying yes, thin and stuff. Yes, yes. So how do you do that when you are on the road so much and just yeah. staying in hotels and things? I think there is a bit of, there's a lack there. There's potentially, um, a huge opportunity for people to be helping others in that environment. So what I mean by that is there's no coaching, there's no guides, there's no, there's no information for people who are like on layovers all the time. It's super challenging. You're exhausted. Mm. Um, so for me, I think I've been lucky enough that it has been such a habit in my life that it's natural for me to want to keep kind of moving around and like just trying to be active so I just I pack my clothes I pack my gym stuff right and I bring it with me I've looked up ahead of time like you know I have a good life membership and it's good for all around Canada which is really awesome because if I just look up ahead of time like okay is my gym close to the hotel that we're going to lay over like can I walk over there or just you know can I uber or whatever to get there and I just constantly remind myself like yeah I might be tired but I'll sleep way better yeah, <laughs> and I'll feel way better for the next day if I work out. So it, it, it's challenging. I'm not going to lie. Like it, there are numerous times where I've gone home or I shouldn't say gone home, but gone to the hotel and I just pass out and I'm yeah. like sleeping from like, you know, 3 PM until the next morning sort of thing. Cause right. you're just exhausted. Um, it is definitely something that I want to get better at mm. and I want to help others be able to do it as well. Like try to find a way to create structure in their life so that they are able to stay active and healthy. And it doesn't mean to be in the best shape of your life. It just means to just stay healthy while Mm -hmm. you're on, you know, on the road. I keep hearing you say, I want to help others do this and I want to do this. And I, I really admire that since in my mind, it seems like the pilot world is still quite male dominated. Yes. Right. (laughs) And can you speak a little bit about your experience being a woman in yeah. that type of world? And, you know, has it felt a bit like a boys club at times and how it you can. navigated that? Yeah, it's a really good question. And this is like perfect for, you know, the content of this podcast, which is why I was like, yes, absolutely. I'm participating <laughs> in this. I like, I love being able to kind of, you know, be more involved with, with, um, women and kind of helping them feeling empowered for sure. So, um, yeah, it has felt like a boys club in, in, in certain ways. I was maybe lucky that I grew up with two brothers. Maybe that kind of helped me to just kind of have that more. I've always been a tomboy, you know, when I was a kid, but as far as challenges, I personally wouldn't say that I've felt, um, like I've had a disadvantage or an advantage in, in either way, being a woman in the industry, it, it obviously comes up with, you know, extra challenges where you might work have to work a little bit harder because people might not take you as seriously. They might think, oh, you know what? She just got here because she's got a pretty face or, you know, they might just discredit your talent. So I think most women find that they have to work a little bit harder in some circumstances, not a bad thing, right? Just kind of makes you better at your craft. Um, But the women who are in the industry, I found tremendous support. Like it's always been such similar experiences that we're all sort of here to just really make sure that we're all in this together. And I think 
it's there's a bit of a misleading mindset of like, yeah, let's get more women in the industry. And I think it's just a matter of just getting everybody in the industry. I think it's just we just need more pilots in general. So whether that happens to be another woman or a man, you know, get more people in mm-hmm. the industry in general. And, um, you know, if I can show women that it's possible and if I can show women that it's, you know, maybe they're intimidated, but they can still kind of build their confidence, then awesome. I'll do that. Like, I'll be that, that leader for people to just kind of make sure that, Hey, you know, people get intimidated say, you know, they, 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 they think, Oh, you know, I have to be fantastic at math. And I'm like, you know what? I almost failed like grade 11 high school math. So trust me, (laughs) (laughs) you can get better at those things. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world. Is that a big thing being a pilot? You have to be good at math. I would say just like mental math to some extent, but nowhere near like I was talking to my brother who's an engineer and he was talking to me about some math things. And I'm like, you know what? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just not at that level. So no, it's, it's not as much as people think. Fair enough. Yeah. What's the application of it? For math? Yeah. yeah. Um, it's math. just like awareness of say like fuel calculations, like how much yeah. fuel you're burning over time right. or like your time and distance calculations, like your like general cruising speed, like just the math that you would do. Like as an example, say if you were trying to go to the grocery store mm-hmm. and you were tallying up, your order just to get an idea of like how much you're spending like those kind of like quick like you know calculations in your head i would say those would be applicable okay nothing hard no 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 great and and as far as you being a, a woman in the industry has there ever been an experience where perhaps you felt a little bit uh either hurt or torn down enough a notch from anyone who's ever you know maybe just treated you differently because you mentioned hey i've had to work harder so was there a specific instance where that did come up i'm trying to think i think i've been pretty fortunate um you know i i think the the challenging thing is when i think the gossip or like the talk being talked about behind your back i think that can kind of get to you sometimes where like Mm. you know people might have you know i would have heard after the fact that like oh did you see the new girl she's like she's doing the flight training and it's like why i don't want to stand out like that like i'd rather just be just another student right like Mm -hmm. i you know so i think that sometimes when you hear people talking about you whether it's positively or negatively or when you hear that um people know about your life when you're not really sharing that kind of information like just that kind of mindset i think it's or not mindset, I should say that, um, those experiences were a bit challenging, but I think they were also related to, um, like the environment that I was in. So where I was doing my flight training, it was a bit of a younger crowd. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's like the high school gossipy mentality. So I haven't experienced that moving onwards at all. It's just been super balanced. And I think it's, it's quite awesome because I get a lot of flight attendants who are, you know, interacting with me and they're like, Oh my God, it's so awesome to see you up here. And like you instantly just become closer with the flight attendants. Whereas I think a lot of times there's, you know, if they see two male pilots and two female flight attendants, there's like a disconnect where I'm all like, yeah, let's everybody get along. Right. Like it's just more of, um, there's like a more, bit more cohesion. So I've been okay. I've been okay with my experience, um, as a woman, woman in in the industry so far. So fingers crossed. Yeah, (laughs) no, that's, that's amazing. And you strike me as someone who's a resilient badass too. So (laughs) I, am I'm unsurprised by that. Not to say you haven't had your own yeah. challenges through the through the whole experience. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I I would love for people to stop using the term female pilot. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> like you are a pilot. Yes. Yes. And I think there was I think yeah. the the background of 
like where that cut was coming from was was well intended. I mm. think the idea was like just try to get again more women in the industry totally. Sure. But I think now people are, are might be using it as like a way to like stand out or like a way to like differentiate differentiate themselves when really like you said we're we're literally trained to do the exact same thing. You know, mm-hmm. you you would have no idea if we weren't speaking on the on the PA, like making an announcement mm-hmm. and you didn't see us at the front, you'd have no idea if it's a man or a woman up front, right? So um, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah. The, the, that term of, of female pilot, not necessarily as empowering as some people might think. And again, yeah. and sometimes, you know, I get comments from, from passengers who come up like, oh, it's so nice to see a woman up front. And it's like, I know where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. I know they're doing it from a sense of, they're, from, they're coming from, I think from support, but it also feels slightly like I'm no different. Like yeah. there's no difference between myself and, and, you know, another first officer. So it's, yeah. it's, it's challenging to navigate that. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. I've heard a lot of conversations even in uh, like the comedy world, mm, yeah. female comedians right. versus comedians. It's like, well, they're, they're all actually comedians. Yeah. Right. Um, and saying female comedian, uh, what paints a different picture, paints yes. them in a different room. Right. So I had a similar, similar thing thought process when yeah. I was prepping for this interview. Yeah, it's absolutely the same, the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it's actually interesting that you're able to kind of sympathize with that just because yeah. with your experience of like, you're just doing improv, right? Yeah, well, I've, I've done I've done lots of things. But yeah, <laughs> I've, I've, I've taught improv in the past and I've done a lot of artistic things. Yes. But even being a woman in the tech industry, and that's right. where I am currently, um, that is something that is sometimes kind of weird. Um, luckily, my specific company, they're pretty good at having gender balance, but in the industry, Industry, that's not necessarily not the case, the case. Yeah. and so sometimes being a woman in particular situations people uh, you know uh, think of you in a different way mm-hmm. um, they come to the situation with a different set of expectations about you already yep and so that's the podcast right <laughs> <laughs> hashtag education it. yes i love it i absolutely love it yes oh cool well thank you for for educating us on that that was really helpful so moving on to question four yes can you tell us about a difficult moment in your life Ooh. not necessarily aviation yeah yeah i was never sure i'm like does she want me to keep going on one area but um ooh, i mean there's been a lot of course um I think the, one of the most challenging things, and it actually kind of shaped me to motivate myself to become a pilot. Um, when I was younger, um, one of my best friends passed away and mm. she was in a group, there was a group of us. Um, we were 18 at the time. And I think, you know, dealing with those kinds of emotions, like you're not, you're not prepped for something like that, right? Like you just don't know how to kind of navigate the, the world after that kind of happens. But, you know, and I had severe depression at the time and, you know, I was dealing with a lot of mental health issues and um, something that I, I very much advocate nowadays to just really making sure that mental health is a huge priority in my life because I know that it makes me feel better nowadays. But I think when she had passed away, it took me a while to, you know, I was becoming a massage therapist at the time too. And mm-hmm. I think, Um, when I started to recognize that I wasn't living the life that I kind of wanted, it really reminded me like, Hey, you know what? If Elena was around, she would have just, you know, kicked my ass and been like, Hey, Mm -hmm. you're not enjoying this. Go out there and do something that you're, you're truly going to enjoy and look back and be, and be proud of. So that was a really challenging time prior to getting to that, you know, awareness or that, that self motivation that, that came from it. But when she had passed away, obviously was, was ridiculously hard to, Mm -hmm. to kind of go through. And, and thankfully 
one of my, my best, my best friend to this day was in that same group of friends. So, you know, her and I grew insanely close from that experience and just, you know, going through life together. But yeah, I think that probably was the most challenging thing that happened in my life for sure. I couldn't begin to think about Mm -hmm. how that feels. The slight silver lining in loss is that realization that you shared of being able to think about your life in a different way. Absolutely. And think about what is worthwhile, why and why, like why and what level of energy you're investing in others. Absolutely. And what fulfillment are you receiving from it? Absolutely. And and not wanting to waste time on what, like exactly what you mm-hmm. said, like, you, you know what, I'm not getting fulfilled from doing this full time. Mm-hmm. I want something more. I can't waste my life. I can't mm-hmm. sit. I, I literally would get to a point where I'm like, I can't sit here and do this because I just look at it and like, what if, what if Elena, you know, what if her and I had been able to still have this conversation and, you know, I can, you know, people can die, you know, it's, it's sad to say, but you know, you can lose your friends anytime you Mm -hmm. could lose your, your parents, you could lose anybody in life. And I think it's really reminding yourself like your life is right now. It's Mm -hmm. not in a future time. It's happening right here, right now. (laughs) And it's really about making the best of it. I think that's what really came out of it. So yeah, yeah, thank you though. (laughs) And that's what, that's what I love about how rigorous you are about even your scheduling you're like okay i'm going to schedule time to see these people spend time with this and do this and this this to make sure that you are making the most out of the time that you have even though you are leading a very busy wonderful (laughs) life um you talked about mental health and i agree with you wholeheartedly this is a, a space where we talk about mental health a lot and I'm curious, how have you been able to boost and improve your mental health Mm. or cope through difficult times? Because I don't ever see that as a challenge that disappears because we go through days, times, months, whatever, where we, we can fall into these periods of feeling a bit low or sometimes worse. Yeah, absolutely. And I've gone through those over the last, you know, 12 years, you know, Mm -hmm. so she passed away when she was uh, 18 years old. I'm turning 31 now. So (laughs) sorry. (laughs) No, no, it's okay. Um, Keep going. um, I, yeah. So I think it was just a matter of learning and educating myself and sitting with myself and trying to, you know, I saw a bunch of therapists at the time and I was dealing with, um, again, like depression, like I said, and I think it was important for me to recognize that this isn't necessarily something that's going to go away. It's not like this magical, like, you know, perfect solution that all of a sudden like poof, it's just going to disappear. So when I would learn, you know, more about myself and sit with myself and do like self-help books and as cheesy as they they sound, those self-help books really kind of force you to kind of sit with yourself and, and get uncomfortable with like, Oh yeah, I noticed that I'm doing this unhealthy pattern. Like, what can I do about that? How can I improve? So I think over the years, it's just recognizing like, Oh yeah, you know what? I've been had, having a shitty last two months. What have I been not doing for myself? And it's like, oh, maybe I haven't been as, you know, rigid with like going to the gym or maybe I haven't been sitting down and spending enough time doing meditations or stretching or spending time with family. So over the years, when you recognize those ups and downs, those ebbs and flows, it's like, mm-hmm. okay, how did I get out of that last kind of low period? What did I do to kind of help myself? And 
so over the over the years when you recognize them more and more you're able to kind of pick up on it way quicker and mm-hmm. then implement those self-care tools that you've learned mm-hmm. um so i think like some big ones for me is like showing vulnerability i think is incredibly powerful so t- you know sharing with other people mm-hmm. that you're having a hard time that you even just saying like hey i'm having a crappy day mm-hmm. like even just like verbalizing it instead of keeping it inside i think is incredibly um humbling and i think it brings people together um i, I think, love that yeah i think um uh, meditation i have something that i've gotten back to uh recently i used to do it a lot in the last couple of years and then i had stopped um for about two years and now it's back to a practice and it's just guided meditation like i just listen to an app and i just sit there and it's just about sitting for like you know 10 15 minutes and just taking the time to breathe um which which app do you use i use calm Cool. Calm. Um, it's a subscribe. Sorry, not not subscribe, but it's a paid app. Mm-hmm. There's tons of free stuff that you can use online. I just like the interface of that one in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. So using doing meditation, going to the gym, eating you know lots of veggies, drinking a lot of water, you know, eating healthy fats. It's again all those small steps to take towards having a more robust support. Mm-hmm. you know system for yourself and then again including your community to help you even more so family members significant others you know siblings etc mm-hmm. yeah i really enjoyed what you just shared about hey you know the tools in your your toolkit mm-hmm. to be able to get you out of a difficult time yes. or in a, a dark space and I think equally important is to also understand what those triggers are to get you into yes. that space in the first place. Absolutely. If there's patterns that you tend to, to find, um, those are things I've recognized in myself. Like, hey, you know what? When I spend time around certain people, yes. uh, I tend to spiral into this type of dark place. Mm-hmm. Or if I you know, put myself in this kind of position or hell, even if I don't sleep or eat enough yeah. and then I go do this type of thing, I know I'm setting myself up to have a bad time. Mm-hmm. Um, that can sometimes continue down into a crappy path. Mm-hmm. So I, I would say both are equally important. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something I didn't really touch on it, but I think you're absolutely right. I think recognizing the triggers and, and what kind of makes you vulnerable, I think yeah. is really important too, because then you can obviously be, be more empowered to, if you can't avoid them, at least be recognizing like, Hey, there's a potential, you know, that mm-hmm. I might feel kind of crappy or if you can't avoid them, then at least again, make you kind of stronger mm-hmm. and, and kind of keeping to your own, your own path or whatever the case maybe yeah I also love what you said about being uncomfortable with yourself mm, yep. in a bit of silence and self-reflection. <laughs> yes. We suck at that. We yes. are really oh bad, <laughs> right? We we love to overschedule ourselves yep. and just throw ourselves into our work, into hobbies, into partying, into being around other people or into other people's problems. So even projecting our problems onto yes. other people <laughs> and that becomes a lovely spiral. But what you said, I just wanted to come back to because it's so important just to be able to sit and deal with your own shit. shit. Yes, yes, that's exactly <laughs> it. It's sitting with your own shit. That's exactly it. It's exactly it. I wonder it. if that's going to be our podcast right? title. Just, just sit with your own shit. Like, just <laughs> deal with it, right? It's so true, though. It's so true. And it's so funny because um, I... It's, I think getting uncomfortable is, we're so fearful of that for so many things. And I think one of the things that's made me better at the mental discomfort, we'll call it, has been the physical discomfort from like gym, Mm. from gymming. I swear, like just being able to push myself through like the soreness of the next day and like still going to the gym. It's like, you know what? Yeah, this is shitty. I'm super (laughs) uncomfortable. I can hardly even sit. Like I need help to go and use a washroom, but pushing through that just makes you like, oh yeah, I feel so much better. So I think that sitting with discomfort with like the mental aspect of things is 
just as if not more important but I still suck at it I'm yeah. still getting better yeah yeah no I've, I, I have never thought about it in that way but as you talk about it, I totally see myself with that. Like I, that was me on like Tuesday, Wednesday. I couldn't walk from doing a leg right. day at the gym yeah. and you, your confidence goes up. Cause you're like, no, but I'm getting so much stronger yes. as a result. Yes. Yeah. And you feel like a badass. You're like, yeah, yeah. I'm sore. Yeah. I'm still going to go. Yeah. Oh, I could crush skulls with these. Right. Guys. Right. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm taking all my groceries up in one trip. Like, yeah. <laughs> check yep. yeah <laughs> oh cool well thank you so much for sharing that yes uh question five is who or what inspires you the most oh, oh my goodness that's so hard <laughs> <laughs> who or what inspires me the most i was sitting and looking at this question when i was coming over here on the subway and i was like i don't know <laughs> um i think one person that i recognized in the last couple of years though, has definitely been my mom, um, who's definitely motivated me. She was very much, um, a businesswoman and I didn't like her and I definitely had some really rough times coming up. We're complete opposites, like complete. Op I I'm like super tomboy, outdoorsy, like throw me in nature. I'll survive sort of mindset. And she's mm -hmm. like, Martha Stewart, like, you know, let's decorate and cook and all that stuff. And I don't disrespect that whatsoever. It's just, we had such a hard time connecting. Mm -hmm. And, but I think when just over the last couple of years, I've, you know, grown obviously and matured. And I look back and I'm like, wait, wait, <laughs> wait, holy crap. This woman <laughs> has given me everything. And just her being, being a businesswoman and having gone back to her career after giving birth to myself and my two brothers mm. and just being like, Nope, this is really important for me. Like I need to get back to work and this is where I'm, I'm driven and I have my passion. I see so many of those skills in myself. Yeah. So I think she really has inspired me way more than I even realize. And I'm only, I'm only recognizing that nowadays. Mm -hmm. I think she did motivate me a lot. I just, because we had a, such a hard time connecting, I didn't really put the two together. Um, so definitely my mom, all same with my dad, same thing, kind of mm -hmm. a business guy and always been really career driven. And yeah, I think it's just been my parents and then just really wanting to motivate myself, like trying to develop that skill so that I could rely on myself. I think that's been really important too. That's huge. Uh, I think being able to be independent in as many yes. ways as you can, even yeah. if you are in a loving, wonderful relationship oh, yeah. and have a family is critically important. I think where the trouble comes in is when you lose your identity and sense of self-worth, just trying to please another person. Yes. Yeah. And that's not to say you can't love other people wholeheartedly, but there's a distinction in there. And what you shared about your experience with your mom, that is such a common thing. That's yeah. something I went through. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I wasn't super close with my mom growing up and it wasn't until adulthood that I was able to appreciate a lot of these things. And she, she came into my life and we were able, we were able to have a very beautiful relationship now. Um, but it was not that way. What changed up. it for you? Uh, so in our case, it was when my parents split up. Okay. That's when she needed someone for support. And that's when that relationship really started. It was, it was brought on by that as like a, an event yeah. that happened. And so, you know, from there, it's been a really cool experience seeing her actually start to discover and find herself yeah, out of, bloom out into of her that. Own. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so that's what really helped to encourage that relationship 
relationship and also just even moving out of out of that house mm. so when you're in that house and especially if there's you know you grew up maybe in a sense of controlled chaos and especially if the dynamics weren't the best yeah. um I, I think people tend to act out and not act in their most authentic self because yeah. they're unhappy and so you as a kid growing up you start to think of that as that is how my parent is because mm. they're unhappy and they're acting out and you just start to define that as your relationship yeah when actuality you should know that that's not the case that's not necessarily how they express love exactly yeah okay yeah exactly or how they express love they just um are hurting Mm -hmm. right now and they might not even be aware of that yeah so it's it's sort of an interesting uh kind of kind of parallel we should hang out more when you're back in toronto (laughs) when you're not flying around the world (laughs) no but it's really nice that you share that because i'm not sure about you but I kind of thought I was like, and not to say that I'm the only one experiencing this, but it's nice to hear that you've also kind of had that mm-hmm. that similarity. Whereas my best friend, she was always super close to her mom. Best friends with right? mom. Yeah, and, I, and I I'm see like, all the time. Like, I it's never nice. had that. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Or people are like, you know, posting on Instagram, like, oh, I'm going to go have breakfast with my mom. And I'm like, I've literally never done cannot, that. Yeah, yeah, I cannot think of a time that I've done that. So it's kind of it's kind of nice to hear that yeah. other people have kind of had that, that similar feeling. Yeah, so yeah. thanks I think, for sharing back. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a more common thing than, than mm. we know. And it's a bit of a, a stigma because of what you said. Oh, on social yes. media, th- you know, it's it's a bit of a trope. It's like, oh, daddy's girl, mama's yeah. girl, you know, like, oh, we're best friends. Everything's happy. And you don't see the shit behind. Yes. Or obviously, if you don't have a great relationship with either of your parents, you typically don't share that yes. on social media. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you do, but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, <laughs> that's something that's funny that you, you bring up the social media thing. Because I, I really, I think there is a bit of a shift, though. I'm not sure if, if you've witnessed it. I think more people, or maybe it's just the type of people that I'm following, but I, I have noticed that people are trying to be more and more real, mm-hmm. quote unquote, or trying to show the shitty times, trying to show what's kind of going on behind the scenes. And I, I really want to practice getting getting better at that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you share that. Um, I think in some cases it's authentic, but in other ways, it's almost a, hey, I'm trying to show myself still in a way that's mm. socially acceptable and still bad. Like, I don't think oh. someone would say, uh, you know, hey, I'm at the end of my rope and I'm I'm really considering bad decisions necessarily on social media. They might just say, hey, had a crappy day, missed my bus. Right. So I think there's shades of it. Um, and that's not to say there aren't people who are doing it authentically, yeah. but uh, I, I think to your point, there is a more of a conversation happening yes. uh, about not only posting the super glossy happy times out the there to reel. your exactly yeah. to your social network. I guess it goes back to people's intentions of why they engage with a social yes. network. If it's just to you know have a communication path and to post some highlights, then that person might be less likely to do that. But yeah, if someone is point. Yeah. documenting their daily life, or if there may be some degree of influencer, then they could. But I think depending on why they're on social media will define how they represent themselves. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like the way that you kind of brought that because it is true and, and there is a big difference between someone who say who's doing it just to seem more personable and then right. be able to sell more stuff, right? right. Or, or or truly just because like, <laughs> Look hey, how real she is. Yeah, like, oh, she had she's a bad so, day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she got a bad haircut. Yeah. 
<laughs> but it's so true. You're, you're absolutely right. So I think it's, yeah, I think it boils down to you just trying to be an educated consumer. I call it consuming nowadays because it truly mm-hmm. is that we're mm-hmm. consuming social media, right? Yeah. Like the information that we're taking in. Yeah. 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 What I'm seeing more, and again, could be a reflection of the people in my network, are people trying to take social media breaks mm, saying, yes. hey, yeah. I need, I need to take time off Facebook because it's such a downer or it's bringing me to a a not so great place myself. Yeah. So I don't know if that's something you've been seeing too. Some of it. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And, or like, you know, when like you're taking trips or it's like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm doing this trip, but like I'll document it, but not necessarily post it live. Yeah. So document it and then post it after the fact so that you can, you can enjoy the moment and be present with your your partner or whoever you're traveling with or yep. whatever the case may be. It's a, it's a very challenging balance. <laughs> it is. No, I, I completely empathize with you on that one, especially. So when I travel, I'm the person who takes 2000 pictures right, yeah. on my phone just because it's so beautiful and I want to be able to reflect on it. Yes. And I, and I do actually go back through those pictures, but to your point, it is a balance. I try not to post everything in the moment because then you lose the moment. Yep. Um, but I still want to capture it a little bit. Yes, I know. agree. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a fine balance. I know I'm sure some people find that super obnoxious both ways, but anyway. So true. <laughs> Too bad. Um, yep. <laughs> all right. So next question, question six, I believe we're on, is what is the yes. most adventurous thing you have ever done? Ooh, this is like my jam. This yeah. is like the kind of stuff I love. <laughs> I want to be like, what? what is an adventurous thing you have not done? Yeah. I feel like I, that, that's a better question for you. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. into a canyon. No, yeah. You've probably done that <laughs> Um, recently <laughs> it would have been, um, skydiving maybe like when I went to Australia I went skydiving there um but you know what's the crazy thing is that have you ever gone skydiving uh no 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 no. (laughs) you're like I'm not even close to that I I like to think of myself as pretty adventurous but there are certain things like I don't like like roller coasters I don't like things that a big drop like I just hate that that body sensation that's what people love about it right no way it's not for me I've tried I went on the largest wooden roller coaster in the world it was when I was in Sweden and that was me like quote-unquote facing my fear and I was like, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well go big or go home. Yeah. I did that. And I'm like, nope, still hate it. Never again. <laughs> done. Done. You're like, you're like the poster child of like the failed experiment. You're like, yeah, everybody told me it was going to be better. And you're yep. like, nope, it's nope. actually worse. No, nope. no, nope. nope. unsubscribe. Unsubscribe. Yeah. I, um, it's funny that you, that you say that. Cause like, yes, I definitely chase it. Obviously. Like that's like the opposite, but you know, what's funny is I've gone bungee jumping and done like the, the skydiving and bungee jumping was way 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 fucking harder pardon really? my language but way harder because i had to physically bring myself to the edge and jump off myself whereas when i went skydiving it was like okay here we Bye. go like I, I literally have no control and i'm just like strapped on with one of my one of my friends ricky who he's the one that did the jump and i fully trusted him and there was like yeah there's no going back from mm-hmm. here i had a bit of a harder time doing the jump myself like forcing myself to do the bungee jump but would it be better if they pushed you off i feel like that's not much better i don't know <laughs> <laughs> just like kick you off the ledge like here you go this is what you get oh my god maybe maybe if i just didn't wasn't paying attention right but you want to like jump a certain way so you don't get that feeling oh, there really? is a way to do it yeah really yeah if you bungee jump like just facing almost like almost like you're doing a belly flop okay. you're doing it more in that sense um your stomach doesn't have that same sensation of like the up and down drop whereas oh. if you're really like vertical then you kind of get it more oh my god yeah i still I still wanted to like pee myself <laughs> when I, I did it. Yeah. I it was feel, amazing. I feel clammy just thinking about it. I'm like, ah. 
<laughs> but that's been really adventurous. And then the other really badass thing that I'm like super pumped about that I've done was I did, um, I went and did a Euro road trip last summer and did an insane, insane hike in, um, Switzerland. It was Ooh. badass. And like the last section of it is called Via Ferrata, which is, it just means iron route, iron way, I think. And it's just, um, the last portion of the hike is, um, you have to clip yourself in because it's all metal, Ooh. metal bars that you have to kind of hike up along the face of the mountain. Wow. Yeah. It's awesome. And then you're looking down you're like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. No turning back yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was amazing at the peak of it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How, how long was that hike? Oh, it's just for the day. So I think in total, it probably took us, I think we did six and a half or seven hours I think for the whole thing only only seven oh, yeah. hours <laughs> casual <laughs> but it was like I think the peak of it was like 10,000 feet I think wow yeah. yeah yeah that was awesome oh my gosh I haven't done anything that cool yet but uh did do the Nepali coast Ooh, in Kauai so beautiful beautiful did you do that too I haven't done it but I've I've um I've been to Hawaii and I knew the Nepali Ooh. coast. It's gorgeous. You should do it. Cause it's like you, you hike halfway to get the, to this gorgeous secluded silver sand beach. Amazing. And so some people just do that and then they come back, especially if they have kids or whatever. Yeah. Like it's, it's uh, a little bit more of an approachable hike. Okay. And then the second half of it is a little off the beaten path. Like you have some of the markers, okay. but I was, I found myself like on my knees and hands crawling <laughs> up, you know, muddied, muddied areas and things like that. And you you actually get to this beautiful secluded giant waterfall at the end of oh it. Oh my gosh. Um, so it's it's beautiful. I highly recommend it. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I definitely want to go back to Hawaii because there's a bunch of hikes there. It's gorgeous. Yeah. The elevation like change like with the volcanoes there is mm-hmm. pretty wicked. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's magical. It's really magical. The vegetation there would change every like kilometer or so and you just feel like you're in Jurassic Park yes. or like different worlds in yeah. a video game. You're like, oh, now we're in this one. It's yeah. really beautiful. Yeah. Now this is the the wetlands and this is the bamboo forest and now we're somewhere else yeah. i love it oh but that's so cool oh man yeah we have to exchange more travel yeah. stories outside of this absolutely great. all right question seven is what do you attribute your success to Ooh, what is success Ooh. Well, <laughs> so it was funny because when I asked you to do this mm-hmm. podcast, you were like, who, me, really? And yeah. I'm like, yes, you fly planes for a living. <laughs> that is really impressive. You yeah. are super successful. Mm. You are educating others. Mm. You are a literal trailblazer. So yes, you are successful. Yes. No, no. I like the, <laughs> I'm just being a devil's advocate because I like that question and I like breaking down this idea of what mm-hmm. success is because I think... Um, it's, it's cool to have a different idea of what success means for different people. Cause you know, some mm-hmm. people might go automatically to financial success and some people mm-hmm. might, you know, again, my success might be again, that I've traveled around to all these different countries, but personally my success, um, I attribute it to like happiness, like daily kind of joy and, and, and happiness in my life that I try to go back to. I think that's really, really important. And I am experiencing that. Right. And I, I do, have that as my motivator. So what attributes to that or what, how would I say I kind of gain that? I'd say really forcing myself to get uncomfortable and believing in myself that I would be able to achieve my goals. I think that was like kind of just putting your head down and being like, yo, you know what? I don't want to live the normal life. I don't want to just be part of the status quo. I just really want to push myself and be that you know have a different life because i don't i don't want the normal the normal thing so Mm -hmm. what do i attribute that success to is 
Yeah, getting uncomfortable. <laughs> getting uncomfortable. And you know what? Not being afraid of being different because I think standing out is terrifying for a lot of people and still terrifying for me in, in a lot of ways. But being different and wanting different things and going about it different ways, I think really is what has given me the, the success that I kind of have to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we have the same life motto of getting <laughs> uncomfortable because that's yeah. actually mine that I have yeah. holds in my heart. So uh, I'm sitting here smiling as you're talking about this. I'm like, she's in my brain. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> and you can say the same for like your success, you know, just getting out there and like just e- being an improv and, you know, like you said, being a comedian and, and, and being involved in that, I think is for me, like that would be insanely terrifying, right? Whereas for you, you're like, yeah, I do it all the time. It's no big deal. Yeah, I mean, side note, I am not a comedian. I, I wish, I wish I am not that cool. Um, but yes, I agree. I mean, even doing this podcast, even doing the things that I do in my business life, like lots of different things, um, I take a leap to make myself uncomfortable yes. on purpose. Yeah. I mean, this podcast is something that is not like, hey, I woke up being like, oh, I'm really good at this. Let's yeah. do this. It's yeah. like, no, this is this is new. This yeah. is something different. And it's certainly a, a hopefully intelligent risk. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like bold and italicized. Yeah. Like, ho- hopefully intelligent, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is great. Um, so I appreciate that. Uh, I love what you said about looking to find happiness mm. in something every single day. Yes. What are some examples of, of that? I think, um, so I, I try, so daily I write in, um, it's called a five minute uh, gratitude. No, five minute journal. Yeah. Five minute journal. Okay. And it's just a, a gratitude journal really. Oh. So it kind of forces you. So every morning you wake up and you think of three things that you're grateful for. So for me, like something that gives me joy is like, you know, Oh, I slept in a comfortable bed. Like, yeah. you know, like the simplest things like, Oh, you know what? I got a good night's sleep or, um, like last night I spent quality time with my brothers. Um, I saw my family. I, you know, I, I there's a, my family cat, Max, like I got to spend time with him Aww, or Max. right, Maximus, right? <laughs> Um, um, you know, got really good conversation with my boyfriend, really, you know, mind opening conversation with him, or I was able to bond with, you know, my best friend or like, just honestly, like the simplest things or I had a good workout. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I ate really healthy today because I, you know, I feel energized or like just the simplest, simplest things Mm -hmm. are truly what I try to focus on because at the end of the day, those are the things that truly give me that happiness. Um, you know, it's not getting 2000 likes on a picture. It's not, you know, it's not those other things that might be a gauge of success for other people. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it, that doesn't make a difference at the mm-hmm. end of the day. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love the idea of being able to actually mindfully practice gratitude every yes, single day. So important. I've tried, I've tried those yeah. journals and then I just fall off really quickly. Have you tried the five minute journal? I've tried something similar okay. to that. Like it's like a, a couple of questions yes, or something. That's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the best at keeping to that. I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'm running around like a chicken with a head cut off. So that's probably why I need it. <laughs> yeah. You know, what's funny is, is I was doing um, a meditation about that, about gratitude. And mm. you know, it's not about just writing in the journal, even if you took you know five minutes when you're laying down but mm-hmm. just like verbalizing it in your head five things that you're grateful for it would just be just as efficient right so right. you could sit there and be like okay yeah today you know some gentleman off the street gave me a compliment or like right. you know just random like little things yeah it makes you really it sh- shifts your perspective around for sure 
it's an important reminder. I go through phases myself. Yeah. Some days I'm really good at it and yeah. other days I, I, I'm not. Yeah. So and you thank fall you. Off the tribe. Oh yeah. my God. I do it all the time too. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So that's everybody's homework is yeah. to spend Gratitude. five minutes. Yeah. I think about five, th- no, three things. Three sure. things. Let's we say start three with things. three. Three Keep is more basic. reasonable. Yeah. Three things that you're grateful for. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Boom. You're yep. listening to this. So you have no, no choice not to. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Question eight. What item or items could you never live without? Oh my gosh, my phone. <laughs> as sad as that is to say, um, I feel like my phone is is pictures too. So not just I'm not just talking about like social media or you know, but it's it's keeping in contact because my life has become so all over the place. Like when I was traveling, when I was living in Africa, when I was in Europe, like it just your phone is what keeps you connected with the people that you care most about. And I think that's really, really important. Um, my parents are huge travelers as well. Mm. So they're always like, they were taking more trips than I was at the beginning. And I'm like, okay, who's the pilot here? Like, <laughs> like what's going on? Um, so it's really important. You know, we would have, you know, WhatsApp conversations. Like we have a, a group chat with my whole family in it and they're just sending me pictures from them traveling around the world. And, Aww. you know, we're 12 hours time zone differences or whatever, but that's our mean of communication. Whereas before when they were traveling like we literally wouldn't speak to them for a week and Mm. that's like I'm okay with that kind of distance that's fine I can handle it but I love hearing how they're doing like I love sharing with them what they're going through so I think that's truly important and you know being able to connect with my boyfriend or being able to connect with um the people that inspire me the most and all that I think my phone is truly important for that and I I keep all my just like you keep all my travel pictures on my phone because it like motivates me for when I'm not traveling to, (laughs) to keep working and you know for the next thing or whatever yeah Yeah. is there something you tend to like taking more pictures of totally like landscape I'm not a I'm not a person like a people picture or like a I'm not I don't definitely I don't definitely um enjoy or go towards like architecture or anything like that Mm -hmm. it's way more like the outdoorsy like cool scenic stuff yeah Whatever I hike, <laughs> that's what I like, yeah. That's amazing. And can you tell us a little bit about your time in Africa, yeah. like where you were, how long you were there for? Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, I was able to only do um, one rotation with uh, my employer at the time. So I was working uh, for a company that did contract work for the United Nations. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So I was based out of, uh, I was living in the Congo for, wow. for two months. Yeah, and um, so just day to day, like we would move troops, military troops around, uh, for that mission specifically where we're in the Congo. So we were living there and yeah, just flying the similar type of aircraft that I'm flying now, just like the earlier versions, I guess. So I was flying the dash, uh, the dash eight, but the 300 version and, um, yeah, just flying people and being able to live in Africa and being able to interact with the Congolese and, I was speaking French for two months straight, which was wicked. Wow. It was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome to be able to practice my French. Um, that experience was insanely humbling. It's funny when people ask me, they're like, oh, was it challenging to go and live there? And, you know, what was the culture shock like? And I always tell people I actually had a harder time coming back mm. than going there. Because going there, <clears throat> you you know it's going to be different you know it's going to hit you, you know there's going to be poverty, you know you're going to see some stuff that you're not necessarily prepared to see. So I think that mindset mentally prepares you because you're like, okay, I'm going to be seeing some stuff that I'm not used to. Like I'm going to be open to those experiences and and kind of whatever comes my way. But once you've experienced that coming back, I came back um, 
last November. So I happened to come back during holiday season mm. and consumerism at its best. And, you know, having come from that's a place, culture shock, right? That's exactly <laughs> it. So having yeah. come from a place where, you know, we're drinking bottled water because we can't drink the tap water because it's not treated there. Um, you know, having daily power cuts, electrical power cuts, because they don't necessarily have, you know, consistent systems. There is no sanitary you know, systems for, mm. for those, for those, uh, the Congolese there. And I only got a glimpse of it. Like I'm mm. only talking about two months and mm. coming from that environment where you're like, you're just grateful that you have a bed and that your door locks and that you, you know, you're, you're, you're safe. When you mm. come back to our North American mentality of consumerism, I was down for new, like for a couple, like for a month, almost two months. And I even told my family at the time, I was like, for Christmas guys, like, I'm having a really hard time with this because I don't want to buy anything. There's nothing that could represent, you know, the time that I want to spend with you guys. So can we try to really make sure that we just spend time together? Like I said, I had such a, it was such a shock. I had such yeah. a hard time. Like everything that I looked at, it was like, it, it was an advertisement for something that I didn't need. And I was like, how can we be stuck in this world? Like I, yeah. the, the excess and the surplus and everything. So the time there, I don't want to just focus on that. I, I guess I should really kind of be bringing about, you know, how amazing it was just to be in the Congo, but it was definitely the culture shock coming back that hit mm-hmm. me the hardest, but that's really interesting. Yeah. I've, I've never, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> and it's actually very refreshing to hear that. Cause although you literally were, were helping a UN, um, mission of mm-hmm. sorts, right? It, it, you're not speaking of it in a savior complex way. It was a, I am a guest in your home yes. oh my gosh, and, yes. and I'm expressing extreme mindfulness and gratitude for, for being there and you allowing us to, to be there and something that will ultimately hopefully ho- help, like hopefully, you know, not to get too, too far down into the politics of it. Like hopefully the grand, grand scale was something that was actually helping. Yes. Um, but it was yeah. honestly like the Congolese were some of the like friendliest people I've ever interacted with. And just, um, you know, there's obviously measures, security measures that you kind of keep aware of, but I never felt unsafe. I never mm-hmm. felt, you know, people were always so worried about me going there. And of I, I and, Cause we which, don't know, we don't know. It comes out of ignorance. And, yeah. and it's not just that too. It's them caring and, sure. and loving you. Right. And I, I understood that. But then I also, I also kept reminding myself that I don't know what it's going to be like. Like none of us truly know what it's going to be like until mm-hmm. you've actually been there. And once I was, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is not only beautiful it's Mm. gorgeous down there like the actual vegetation was just incredible like you're talking Mm. about different world yeah the congo is like the craziest forest and sorry i should say jungle i've ever seen Mm -hmm. and you go there and you're like you know thank you for letting me experience this like because it makes you a different person like Mm -hmm. it truly humbles the heck out of you (laughs) when Mm -hmm. you come back right it was so cool i I can't wait to go back my goal actually is to um because i like thought i would spend more time there right um i would love to go back and my goal is to i want to do kilimanjaro in october Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I need to spend more time in Africa for sure. Just, just casually. Yeah, human Sure, yeah. sure. Why not? Just like that. No yeah. big deal. Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, all right. Question nine. Is yes. there anything you'd like to promote? Oh, um, I think this. No, <laughs> I want to promote so this. No, oh, good. Yeah. No, any websites, anything that you're engaged in oh, that you yeah. want to, yeah, anything you want to throw out there. It could be social media. It could yeah. be any, anything whatsoever. Um, I am working on, on my own kind of social media. I don't fully know what I'm doing with it, but I have, gar- you know, gathered a bit of a following and I do want to kind of use it 
you know, in some positive way. So I am working on my website. I have it kind of pulled up. I've got my domain and hosting and everything sorted out. Is it ready um, for prime time yet? No, or? it's oh, not yet. Oh. <laughs> Do you know what I, it will be? Like, can I, you share honestly, it ahead of time? I would love to have it kind of ready for the new year. Okay. Yeah, 2019 would be like kind of a launch. So okay. I'd love to have my YouTube channel up by then. And I, I, my YouTube is gonna, just going to be really focused on kind of like day-to-day stuff with like my flying and really just like adventurous stuff. So like Ooh. more so my travels and my hikes and like just cool stuff that I get to do because I want to share that with people and I want to share what's possible because I think a lot of people get this crazy idea that traveling is challenging and difficult but I'm sure you can attest to the fact that if you focus on it as a priority, you can absolutely do it. Oh, like, yeah. It's way more accessible than people realize. And I want to share that with others. Do you mean more financially or more in general? Um, in general? Okay. Yeah, financially for sure. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, you know, I have some perks. I, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to ignore that side of things, but I think mm-hmm. it is still something that's very much a priority. It can be a priority for other people. And I want to share mm-hmm. what's possible. Yep. You know, maybe people don't necessarily just want to go to the cities. Maybe they do want to do some crazy cool hiking and I can kind of show them what's possible or what I've experienced. So I would love to focus on that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, who knows where, who knows where my YouTube and my website will go. My website will be mostly like blogging and, and sharing kind of pictures and in, in my day-to-day life. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, so our listeners can find it if they just Google yeah. your name kind of thing. Yeah. It'll be probably the, the website will be um, www.pilotemily.com when it, <laughs> when it gets released. Yeah. I love that. Pilot Emily. <laughs> Boom. I love it. That's yeah. so cool. Very, very cool. Um, I uh, had a few additional questions that I wanted to throw in before we get to our last official one. Yes, yes, yes. One is, it was, it's kind of dumb, but uh, I was talking Uh, to, I was talking to my partner, Manny, about this this morning and it was throwback to your RMT days. Yes. Um, How do RMTs feel about really hairy people? funny that you say that because oh, everybody asks no but you know what everybody asks me really? you know what's the funniest is women women are the worst they always come and tell me i'm sorry i didn't shave today and i'm like girl i massage fully grown men like like your like stubble is not gonna be bothering me trust me i did the exact same thing yeah. this week did i you literally actually? did yeah i have a shoulder issue right oh. now and so i'm there with like my shoulder out and i'm like looking at my armpit and i'm like yeah it's it's not it's not you know ready for prime time yeah. according yeah, yeah, to yeah. me and societal uh norms. you know old yeah. school norms yeah, yeah exactly but you know honestly do not care <laughs> i do not care whatsoever and okay. you know what's actually funny massage therapy has made me so accepting of people's bodies bodies because I'm like, I've seen, I feel like I've seen everything. Like I right. truly do not care. <laughs> Get comfortable with yourself, you know? Right. Oh, that's good. So in general, if you're super hairy, RMTs likely don't care. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh, so when I was doing research, I noticed that you're a first officer. Yes. Can you explain very briefly what the flight ranks yes, are? Yes. What that means. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a little bit challenging. I think that term actually comes from a nautical background. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So some people call it co-pilot, first officer, typically first officer is the term. So when you come into a flight deck environment, um, you do have a a multi-crew situation happening, right? Because we can't obviously operate uh, that big of a machine on our own. We always have a backup. We always have redundancy and systems in place to help each other. So the ranking sort of works, you know, a captain obviously is the pilot in command. And then you would have the first officer who is the the second in command or essentially the person that's kind of supplementing all of it. That is as far as ranks go, Mm -hmm. as far as responsibility once we're airborne we're sort of seen as the same so what kind of happens is 
depending on what leg of the flight is, you know, maybe we're doing four flights in the day, we'll alternate roles for, for the, for the flights. So for one of my flights, it might be that I'm pilot flying and that the captain is pilot monitoring. And then mm. for the next flight, we'll switch it. So I'll be pilot monitoring and the captain will be pilot flying. So it's the ranking stays the same. So the captain is always the person that's ultimately going to have the decision making and, and being kind of in charge, but always going back to a crew, re, a crew resource management sort of mindset of always trying to get each other to, or sorry, I should say help each other to, you know, make the best decision for everybody that's on board. Mm -hmm. So that's the ranking kind of mindset. And then the responsibilities, which was what I mentioned with pilot flying versus pilot monitoring would just be kind of who's operating the aircraft versus who is doing the radios and, you know, trying to fill, filling out the flight plans and doing the navigation side of things. So I could be say the first officer and I'm pilot flying for that leg. So I'm the one that's physically operating the autopilot and flying and taking off and, and doing all that. And for that leg, the captain would be the pilot monitoring. So mm -hmm. he's doing the radio calls. He's doing the checklists. He's doing the flight planning, et cetera. And then we'll swap mm -hmm. for the next flight. Okay. I was going to say, sense? like, how, how do you decide who does what? Is it rock, paper, scissors? Yeah. We just start with a day. Like, it'll just be for the first day. Be like, okay, right. who wants to take the first leg? And then we'll mm -hmm. just switch it. We'll alternate every time. Got it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, any pilot or flying myths that you hear all the time that you want to share? I feel like there must be don't clap when we land don't? oh my god i love that i've always that's always bugged me when it's people so clap when when we land because i'm just like they, they're doing their, their job, job yeah. like you clapping assumes that you're happy that they didn't crash yeah, yeah, like, like you were concerned i was which is which is like i get it <laughs> I feel like people are doing it because they're just pumped and they're nervous and they're like just happy that they're landed, which I get, but we can't hear them, right? We can't hear you guys back there. So thank you. That's hilarious. Yeah. Okay. And don't rush to stand up. Like what, right? Like everybody rushes to stand up when, when the seatbelt sign comes off, but then we just stand in the, in the aisle, but the door's not open. So what if, they, what if they can move like one inch closer to the door? It saves them a lot of time. <laughs> it's worth trying man. No, but really, um, actual pilot myths though. Those are pretty good. I like yeah, those. Yeah. Okay. We'll keep it at that then. <laughs> cool. Uh, any quick tips for travelers who are trying to fly standby? Because you mentioned you do this all the time. Ooh, yes. Well, hopefully I can make my flight Fingers back to crossed. Calgary. Yeah. Um, do you fly standby on occasion? Uh, I, I think I've tried once and that was just out of necessity, but oh, I, I yeah. don't typically myself, but yeah. I know a lot of people do. Do. Yeah. So the best piece of advice for standby is don't have any checked baggage. I think that's yeah. the best thing. Yeah. It's, it's just keeping only your carry on. Um, just because otherwise it's just a little bit more of a, of a cluster, just getting everything mixed up and be flexible, have option A, B and C, yeah. um, especially, you know, if it's domestic regional flying, not, not worst case Ontario, but if you're flying, say to, <laughs> I love that you say worst case Ontario. I say that too. Yeah, That's it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you're flying, say overseas, um, or you're flying to a destination for your travel vacation, you know, vacation or whatever the case may be, um, yeah, have option A, B, C, D as like mm -hmm. ways of you being able to get to your destination. And then, yeah, those are the two biggest tips. Yeah. Worst case, swim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And maybe have an extra buffer day yeah, to yeah. come home. Yeah, that's those are good tips. And uh, what extreme conditions 
have they trained you on even when you were in in school or things like that like as an example and this is not me being nervous it's like as an example like what if an engine went out do do they talk about these things absolutely oh yeah we train for fires we train for you know engine shutdowns we train for uh and keep in mind like my aircraft is a is a turboprop so it's a prop driven aircraft the q400 so it's not uh it's a jet turbine but there's a the prop in the front of it Mm -hmm. so it's gonna be different than some of the bigger airliners um, but we train for any emergency you can kind of think of um, gear issues, flap issues, hydraulic loss, electrical you know losses, um, fuel losses, you know, depressurization issues, basically anything that you can think of. We're, we're kind of dealing with it. And we have checklists for everything. We have checklists okay. and emergencies, emergency uh, items to deal with any of those awesome. situations. Yeah. So it, it really the best thing that I've learned from those sim sessions, because I swear to God, it's like a fire. It's like trying to drink water from a fire hydrant, like when you're yeah. trying to deal with all that. And the best thing that I've learned from it is just to stay calm. Mm-hmm. Like just to, even though your engine is getting shut down, it's like you will not think clearly if mm-hmm. you just don't take deep breaths. Like mm-hmm. we even see it in like, have you ever watched Sully? Did you ever watch no. that? No. Did you ever watch the, you know, you remember what happened with on the Hudson river with that? Oh, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. Where they had to yeah, land on the land river. On the yeah. River. That movie does a pretty good job at like showing kind of what he went through. Um, but just even like listening to numerous different pilots kind of go through emergencies when you're listening to them on the frequency, like when they play the tapes after the fact mm-hmm. and you hear them and like, they're, they're staying calm. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, <laughs> if there was an emergency, I really, really need to Stay, Stay cool level. as a cucumber. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. you're not, your brain's not going to think right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so great. hopefully they train us for the shittiest conditions and then we just <laughs> never have to deal with them. Yep. Yeah. 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 Touch wood. Totally. Yep. Totally. Uh, and last like random question before I, I yeah. round things off to question 10 officially is uh, what rules do pilots have around substances? Because obviously mm. being here for the podcast, I'm usually always offering alcohol. Um, kidding, not kidding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, obviously you turned it down because you potentially could be in uniform today. But yes. um, can you give us at least a, a high level of yeah. what that looks like? And I know especially with legalization of cannabis, mm. there's probably new rules here that yeah. you have to consider. Yeah. So um, so we follow, obviously, all operators or Canadian operators follow uh, transport Canada regu- regulations. So those are implemented based on whatever rules that they decide, you know, happens to be, you know, current at the time. So obviously, um, alcohol being a legal substance, there is limitations with, um, consuming, uh, alcohol and for transport Canada, I believe it is 12 hours. So 12 hours, you know, from kind of bottle to throttle essentially is kind of like the nickname that we like use (laughs) i like that yeah so (laughs) it's essentially kind of like the the cutoff prior to now we're not talking about being you know plastered 12 hours prior it's it's having a drink of alcohol essentially so if there was kind of heavier drinking then it's it's 24 hours Mm -hmm. um before operating because altitude will affect your blood levels, right? Your blood uh, alcohol levels. Mm-hmm. So um, that has been implemented forever. Um, the other a new legalization is, with uh, marijuana being legal now is there is no leeway for pilots. So there is mm-hmm. no of using during your time off and then, you know, not using when you're flying. There's just no use whatsoever, ah. even though it is legal. So I'm not sure if that's kind of hitting like a a debate with with some people i'm not i'm not sure it's just happened very recently with the legalization everything so 
that's the new rules that we kind of have to follow. I'm not sure if people are going to fight back about that. I don't know if there's more research being done. I, I really have no idea. It's just the newest info that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe yeah, yeah. it's maybe it's because there hasn't been enough research yes. done on how it affects cognition. Yes, exactly. Um, X number of hours or days after. Yeah. I, I know like a lot of other institutions like police, et cetera, they've all been struggling to figure out what rules. Oh, same thing. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Like they're trying to figure out like how many hours or how many days, et cetera, until you can show up. I, I think some police institutions are like 27 days before uh, you can't do it between 27 days right. and you're showing up for a shift. So therefore you can't ever technically right. do it unless you're like kind of unemployed. Right. right? Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, yeah, that's, that's actually really interesting. And I guess for the sake of being a passenger, it's not a bad thing, Yeah. but exactly. you'd like to think that it is technically a recreational substance. So, you know, perhaps similar in the way of alcohol. Yeah. That's so. why it's a bit of a challenging, mm-hmm. it's an interesting debate. Um, and I was just having this debate just cause I like playing devil's advocate of sure. like, you know, how does that kind of work with, why is it that, you know, alcohol being legal, that there's a limitation and, and you know, it's yeah. kind of like a weird, like ethical stance with things a little bit there. So it's, I, I'm, I think there's just going to be more research. I think there's yeah. just going to be more studies and more education. I think that's really important. Yeah. yeah. Agreed. Cause even though alcohol can leave your system, you, your system could then still feel sluggish and tired Absolutely. and all that stuff as well. Like yeah. p- potentially even Worse. a day later, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And um, I think it's, it's challenging too, because I think pilots uh, are in a very high workload environment and, mm-hmm. and do turn to you know just relaxing and having a drink with co-workers or, or mm. with their significant other or whatever so you know it's challenging to say well what determines your limit of you know if you've been drinking heavily versus just one or two drinks exactly. like for the 12 hour rule say right exactly. so it's kind of up to you to kind of decide that so I find that interesting I'm not a huge drinker mm-hmm. I love drinking wine and, and my scotch and everything but um, it makes me feel kind of crappier the next day typically so I don't typically like to drink that much but I know some people do mm-hmm. and so I always found that interesting I, I would always kind of ask them like well how do you know right mm-hmm. like how do you gauge your your own self your own limits I mm-hmm. guess we'll say yeah have you ever come across or heard of pilots using other types of substances perhaps to stay awake or things like that coffee <laughs> yeah just coffee <laughs> uh, I mean I consider I think the way that we view coffee is like almost you know almost like a drug in that sense mm-hmm. right we're we're addicted to it for sure mm-hmm. um but no, no other substances that I know of. Yeah, that's no, good. Just, just coffee. <laughs> that's good. I know. I feel like it's sort of a romanticized or old school view of, of oh, pilots having to stay up for a long period of time. Yeah. So maybe they're doing other like uppers and things oh, like that, no. like those types of things. No, I think just because of our like very stringent medical rules mm-hmm. and and just like we had to get most airlines now, um, you have to do tests. So oh, okay. you have to pass tests to uh, get your your hiring package. I think you have to even right. get your job in the first place. So, right. um, you wouldn't be able to, to kind of pass those if, mm-hmm. if you were doing that kind of recreationally yeah. right. and they could test you anytime if they really wanted to. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a good thing here. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Okay, cool. Thanks for indulging my, my fun. Absolutely. Uh, so last official question yeah. is question 10. What is a lesson you learned the hard way that you'd like to share with our listeners? Ooh, Okay. I have a good one actually. Um, so there was a time when I was, uh, working as an instructor. I was at, um, so I worked full time teaching at Seneca college and, um, I'm not going to delve into like the details of essentially what happened, but the premise of the situation was that there was something that was kind of happening 
that day. I felt it was a little bit unsafe um, just to do the environment where we were. It was um, it was at uh, dispatch, like where we kind of dispatched the flights for the flight training. Mm-hmm. A very busy day, really busy with all the students and all the instructors kind of going through. And the person that happened to be in charge at the time um, to me, it seemed like wasn't really fully there. I think she had brought her kids. I think they were selling like girl guide cookies or something like that. And she was just doing it out of, mm-hmm. you know, wanting to, you know, help her community and help her, her kids. And I think she um, couldn't, uh, I think her, her kids couldn't go to, she didn't have a babysitter or they couldn't go mm-hmm. to daycare or something like that. So she was kind of forced, or at least that's what she brought up. She was kind of forced to bring them to the school instead. So my she reaction, was a student? she was uh, the instructor that was responsible for kind of everything that was happening that oh. day. You always have like one instructor who's responsible for the, the operations of the, the flight training school at the time. So it's mm-hmm. by shift right. and she happened to be responsible at the time. My reaction out of frustration was to essentially, um, send in a safety report and just say, Hey, this is kind of what's, what's happened. And, you know, in my mind, this is kind of unsafe and there shouldn't be this, you know, children in this environment just because, you know, what if something happens and people aren't paying attention or whatever. And I did that instead of going and speaking up to her directly. Mm -hmm. And I think I learned the hard way afterwards that, you know, obviously she was in a shitty situation because of that. I had done it in a way to kind of bring awareness, but unfortunately, um, you know, she was kind of reprimanded for it. And, and, you know, obviously it wasn't correct, but I think what I learned from that, the shitty thing that came around from that is that I think that like I caused extra friction that could have been Mm -hmm. avoided by just me, you know, communicating and saying, Hey, this might not be the best you know, circumstance to bring your kids around. Right. And I think the, the hard lesson for me was that again, I caused friction, I caused, um, you know, disruption between myself and that other employee. And that caused other rifts between other employees because then it was like, you know, them versus us sort of mindset. Mm -hmm. And it just creates all this drama that I'm so not a drama person. Like Mm -hmm. I so did not mean for that to happen. I was truly trying to do it as just trying to raise the safety levels I think that we were having um so that really reminded me the importance of like communication and just Mm. kind of discussing it and I could have just gone up to her and say hey I don't think this is safe I think we should try to like discuss this and then who knows what would have happened she could have chosen to listen to my concern or she could have chosen to keep things as is but at least I think if I had communicated that I think I could have prevented you know, down the line rift that I kind of mentioned. So I think that that was like the hard thing that I had to learn because it was uncomfortable afterwards, right? Working mm. with that same person again. Yeah. I love that example since you you did that with good intent. Yeah. But uh, because sometimes we're either averse to perceived conflict or we aren't very good at talking to people. Um, it could have been so much easier for you to even yeah. gauge um, how responsible or irresponsible this person was or whether she was hypothetically a little bit malicious um, by having that conversation. You can very easily gauge with her of, hey, this was just a really shitty situation. Total edge case will likely never, ever happen again. Yes. Yeah. And offer your compassion and support as opposed to something that can be totally seen as perhaps going around her back and causing yeah. her... So much extra pain and and bullshit so i I love that example and i love that you have the self-awareness and the maturity to think of hey man like i i should have done done this in a perhaps a different way yes more Um, professional and yeah exactly and and express that compassion (laughs) because it was honestly afterwards like i saw the amount of hurt that it caused her and i was like i was so uncomfortable with that like i that's the last thing that i wanted and Yeah, it's 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 something that really hurt me for a long time. Actually, I was like still feeling guilt and 
shame and discomfort like a year and a half later right. <laughs> and people were like let it go like who cares it passed yeah. but I was like I was that was just not my intention I of think course. that that was the bottom line I was like I just feel really shitty and and again like you know now it, the rift isn't isn't there um and it's not something that bothers me but I think it's a really good example for myself to be like oh yeah like really have to make sure I'm aware of like how my actions are going to affect other people so in this case like okay could have gone to speak to her instead of going to the next step which is reporting making it a safety report or, or whatever the case yeah yeah or even the like professional title tailing right yeah yeah which is <laughs> essentially kind of what the safety yeah. report was actually but from that actually something good came out of it because it was um i used the so all aviation uh, companies have uh safety reporting mechanisms to help increase the safety um, mindset and the safety environment that we're in just because it's, you know, obviously that's our biggest, biggest concern. And one thing that came out of it is that it, the program was essentially flawed. It was, I would did it in a way to remain anonymous to, because it was, it's a public, uh, not public, sorry. It's um, a reporting system that everybody has access to, but there's a way of doing it so that only the op, the people that create the system are able to see who reported it mm -hmm. so it's it's a learning it's a way to learn so like you can see what was reported but you don't necessarily see who reported it but there was essentially a flaw in the system because that person ended up finding out that it was me that had done mm -hmm. it so it was actually there was actually a learning uh, a learning um, point from that because they really the people who were in charge at the time recognized oh crap <laughs> the person knew that it was emily that did this so we have to change our system because mm -hmm. we want to find a way to ensure that people are feeling safe to report mm -hmm. and they are feeling safe and secure in their work environment that if something was happening that they couldn't feel safe to report to anybody in physical you know in mm -hmm. person they could do it in a safe space yeah. um online yeah so actually something good kind of came out of it at the end so it was yeah. kind of good <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. just to fix the communication yeah, system because exactly. what if it was something more serious totally but uh i, I love your take-home message of it's usually the best protocol to have a conversation with yeah. someone directly before escalating it. Yes. So I love Even that. Even though it's uncomfortable. <laughs> I know, exactly. Get yeah. uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you, Emily, so much for this interview. My I learned pleasure. a ton and hopefully you all did too. Thanks so much for listening and yeah. thanks so much for being here. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening, everyone. Find us on Facebook at Legit Lady Podcast. That's L-E-G-I-T-L-A-D-Y Podcast. And on Instagram at Legit Lady Podcast. On Twitter at Legit Lady Pod. That's Legit Lady P-O-D. And please rate and comment on iTunes and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you love what you hear, share it broadly and proudly. Thanks, everyone.